0: Welcome to episode number 42 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm one of your hosts, Rob. And I'm Corey, the other host. (laughs) We've got new episodes dropping every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast. And of course, you can also find them on iTunes. We've got a great lineup of items to cover tonight, as always. But before we get into that, we'd like to talk about what we're drinking to get in the mood to bring you the news, the internet marketing issues that we're all dealing with. Well, it is the
1: Arctic Vortex going on. I think that's the official title right now.
0: This is outrageous. What is it? What is it? 32 (laughs) degrees outside. In
1: Jacksonville, Florida. Give me a break.
0: (laughs) No less than five miles from the beach. It's 32 degrees outside. This is unbelievable.
1: So other than seeing penguins and icebergs at the beach today, I am drinking some Johnny Walker Black to warm up after this... (laughs) arctic weather that we're receiving how about yourself
0: i am drinking black coffee with a little bit of kalua in there oh trying to trying to stay warm yeah exactly
1: (laughs) before we get started if you have any topics for us to discuss or are really stuck with something you need some help give us a call 904-270-9603 rob man's the phone day and night it doesn't matter what time of day he will answer your calls family event president's on the line shh I got a call on the phone, on and the a, red phone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and a heads up for all of you listening out there who think that, you know, maybe we sound a little different. Well, that's because FSU won the national championship. And our throats, you know, are a little sore still from all the screaming. Yo
1: faces, everybody. It
0: was an up and down night, <laughs> but we made it to the other side. I think I lost four years of my life watching
1: that <laughs> I think <film. laughs> it was more
0: than that. But well, we made it. And here we are giving you the news. So what are the topics? Let's run so through
1: So let's them. run through these. Head in the charge, changes to Google Webmaster Tools and what implications that has for us. Differences between tablet and phones. What are the things you need to keep in mind? Lastly, deal personas. If you are ones that run deals or sales, which is a lot of us in a lot of our marketing campaigns, keep these in mind. It goes into some of the psychology of how people treat deals and how we might approach them differently. Starting us off, the man with the plan, the SEO professor, Rob (laughs) What's oh. up with the Google Webmaster? I always, get, I always
0: get stuck with that label. I don't know how that ever happened. Let's talk about some changes to some Webmaster tools for those of you out there in podcast land who are not familiar with Google's Webmaster tools. You are slacking on the job right now. You need to stop the podcast right now and go sign up for Google's Webmaster tools. Gives you a ton of insight into how Google is viewing your website, any robot errors, amount of traffic you get from Google. All sorts of good information in there, as well as a direct line to Google's Webmaster team to help you with any issues. that that may, I don't know, you may be having with your website. Yeah,
1: if you have red exclamation points in there.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we're just going to cover a couple of recent changes in here. So for some of those people who are out there really following their Google Analytics for their SEO efforts, obviously Google is no longer passing that keyword information to Google Analytics. So all your SEO efforts have sort of fallen off the map in terms of measurement, right? You don't know how much traffic you're getting from SEO and from which keywords. Now Webmaster Tools are giving you these exact numbers, So previously, they were just giving you sort of rounded estimates. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, what was it rounding it to? Like tens of thousands for certain keywords?
1: Yeah, and then it was rounding it to like the thousands if you didn't have that much volume. Kind of hard to extrapolate some exact data from... Yeah exactly so
0: so some real ballpark rough numbers but now if you look inside your Webmaster Tools accounts you'll find exact keyword searches that your website has appeared for as well as exact clicks I believe. So some really good information there. You can take some of that data out of there and try to mish max it back into your Google Analytics data and try to get some conversion data from it. I think that
1: sometimes people marketers in particular don't use this tool because they think of it as more of a technically geared tool like Webmaster Tools. That sounds like something my IT team should use right. but But over time, like you were talking about, as Google has encrypted a lot of the what I would call the marketing data, especially as it is geared to SEO, been harder and harder for some of us marketers to quantify our SEO efforts and understand how Google in particular is sending us traffic and what we're actually ranking for. And now that has been pushed, that responsibility to Webmaster Tools. So while we have gone a little bit more in the dark on the Google Analytics side, or really any analytics platform, we talked about Google Analytics, but Site Catalyst, any of those other metric platforms don't get that information anymore because it's encrypted. You can now get some of that through Google Webmaster Tools. So you can take out some of this SEO data and understand Maybe we've had an internal project to rank really well for, I don't know, Vuvuzelas, because we love selling (laughs) these trumpets to disrupt games. And we want to be able to understand, has the entry traffic looking for those types of things been going up? You can now extrapolate that out and actually get exact data from these tools. So it can be very influential to give to your content teams, to your SEO team, to just the general marketing department that you might have. And maybe that's all three wrapped into one person. And if you get a lot of traffic from Google, it's no longer a tool that you can just ignore. You want to pay attention to this tool because there's a wealth of information I thought that was a
0: good point. It's something I never really even thought of because I've been around it for so long. The fact that it's called, well, (laughs) that too. I I actually want to purchase some now. But the fact that it's called Webmaster Tools, originally it was just sort of a way to submit sitemaps to Google, but now it's much more than that. It's definitely for the marketing teams out there. You need it to keep track of your marketing, your natural marketing efforts in Google tons of alerts and errors and anything you need to stay on top of your website and how it appears to Google, you need Webmaster Tools for that.
1: Right, and one benefit with Google Analytics is it does allow you to link your Webmaster Tool profile and it will pull in some of that data, but I've found that it's a little bit lackluster in Mm -hmm. how much information it pulls in, so it still behooves you to log into Webmaster Tools and actually interact with that tool. So we'll tweet out a link actually on this. There's something else that we're going to cover, but this will go into some of the changes in there and maybe we'll tweet out a link on like a get started with google webmaster tools just so people can be familiar with it if they've never used it i mean
0: maybe it's a and it's an idea for a video that we should make coming up yeah absolutely sounds good so change number two that we're going to talk about really quickly here is that webmaster tools are start helping you with your structured data so for anyone out there not familiar with structured data i'm sure you've done a, a google for some sort of recipe and you've seen recipe listings come up in the natural search results that don't look like every other website listing or a video listing maybe done to search for i don't know boovazela videos i don't know if that's the perfect technique with yeah, your right. lips if you, in if you're the that kind of sick person who wants to listen to that <laughs> you'll actually see video listings sort of come up like how youtube videos mm-hmm. are listed in there so there's actually code you put inside your html for those web pages that helps google understand that your page is about a video or your page is about a recipe or it's about a local place i think there's maybe like 10 different kinds of structured data mm-hmm. you can have on a website And they all have different kinds of code pieces you need to put in your HTML to have your web pages show up and have and be formatted properly inside Google. So prior to this, you were sort of on your own. You had to read the docs and guess if you got it right and see if your web page looks correct. Now, inside Webmaster Tools, it'll help you specifically know what kind of page Google thinks your site is about, be it a recipe or whatever it is, and help you make sure all of those fields are included if it's a recipe what's the name of the recipe and how long does it take and whatever fields are involved in that it'll help you better organize your structured data and make sure that Google's getting what it needs to know nice. so that you get those videos and recipes and local places displayed properly in Google And
1: I would Sales definitely thing. say that having it formatted properly especially if you have the type of content that Google supports Probably increase your click through rate quite a bit. As you talked about, for those particular queries, those search engine results look quite a bit differently. And for me at least, they definitely catch my eye. Mm-hmm. So you might be able to actually increase some of your traffic from these search engines if you format your content correctly. And to be honest, Not many people are doing it still, so it can really help you with a competitive advantage with your content, especially if you're in a very competitive marketplace to potentially stand out. Definitely worth a check through. It seems very technical in nature or potentially complex, but it's something you could also easily template out. And Mm -hmm. once you understand it, it's really not that difficult. But now it's nice that Google allows you to double-check yourself. So maybe you want to audit some of your pages. Maybe your IT team has already implemented this. And you want to make sure that Google is actually reading it correctly. So that's a pretty neat feature that they have.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Google Webmaster Tools, check it out. We're going to tweet out a link and maybe even construct a video on helping you navigate the uh, tool. There is really a wealth of information in there. Moving right along, differences between tablet and mobile. So this week we were reading really interesting blog posts by... One of the testing tool providers out there, Sitespect, who has some really good blog posts out there and and quite an interesting tool. If you're in the testing space and you're looking for a provider, Sitespect has a very unique offering that I would recommend most medium to large size businesses checking out. Definitely very unique and an interesting way to approach testing. But particularly on their blog, the article's focus that we were reading went into really why we as marketers and really website owners should treat tablets and mobile devices separately. Unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people do not really treat those devices separately. There's two camps. There's mobile devices and then there's like desktop and laptop. Mm -hmm. And really, they should be treated differently. And what's interesting about this SiteSpec blog, they focus quite a bit on IBM actually released a benchmark study Looking at a lot of the retail data over the last holiday and how different devices contributed. In the grand scheme of things, in the purchase data over the holiday season and how purchasing patterns change depending on what devices they were using to access these sites. So I'm going to throw a couple stats out there. I think I'm actually taking your job tonight (laughs) because Rob does love him some stats. But I think that these are worth bearing in mind because we're getting to a day and age now with these multiple devices that we have to consider them different from one another. And also our (coughs) approaches need to potentially change or our philosophies on how...
0: Users might interact with our site depending on the device. Speaking to what you were just sort of saying there before, which is that tablets and phones tend to get lumped in together, I remember the first time I got an iPad thinking this looks just like a screen does on my laptop or my desktop. I don't know why these are lumped in with phones, because phones at the time, at least, were so very clearly different than a tablet. It always seemed to me the tablet should have been lumped in with laptops and, and desktops. Well, it's but.
1: interesting you say that, that almost the, the initial design, particularly even continuing design, essentially look like big phones. Those comedically large old cell phones back in the day where it's well, like a two-hander, you got to hold it up yeah. to your head.
0: Well, I think they had jokes about that too when the iPad first came out. It was, you know, there were jokes of people holding it up as if it were an iphone
1: well you know what is a joke is when i see people taking pictures with ipads oh, that mean like
0: is hilarious at the national championship game last night people <laughs> with their iphone's out in crowds or if, their you, iPads, if you're listening sorry. and
1: you're one of those offenders i'm going to tell you just, what your friends are a little bit scared to that you should not do that well
0: just pull your phone out because your ipad doesn't have a better camera well
1: or just don't take a picture because it's okay. going to be terrible quality anyways keeping, keeping your mind's eye
0: <laughs> The
1: Beard Marketers, we're here to give you the advice to change not only your marketing life, but your real life and your social circles. So keep that in mind. (laughs) So getting back to the tablet information from this IBM benchmark report, what's really an eyebrow-raising stat that came out of this report is comparing tablet traffic to cell phones or smartphones, tablet contributed to double the amount of sales as smartphone users, even though tablet traffic on a whole is a little bit less than smartphone usage on average for sites. So to put some numbers behind that the average order value for tablet users was it's $126.30 compared to just $106.49. Definitely big enough difference to, I would say, be outside the margin of error mm-hmm. and definitely constitute probably an extra item or two depending on what
0: site you're at. I think that's what I would be really interested to see is what is the difference there, right? So is it because tablet users are purchasing X number more items per purchase? Or just purchase more expensive or items. Or more expensive. And what are those sort of categories like? clothing, more people shop on an, on a tablet, which would make sense to me because I mm-hmm. want to see the product more. Or just some of those breakdowns would be interesting to see.
1: I think it'd be hard to quantify just because IBM was using such a large data set of e-commerce sites. Right. So I think it was over 700 sites they were pulling information from. Mm-hmm. But I think that is an interesting concept and probably diving into your own metrics and see out of our tablet traffic are people actually adding more to cart or are they feeling a little bit more comfortable spending that extra amount and maybe tablet users are self-selecting more affluent population anyways and that's why they're spending more i have more disposable income and i have a tablet I would say the caveat to that is I know a lot of people are actually using tablets as desktop replacements. So Mm -hmm. interesting segment of the population to look more into and try to see how those usage patterns might change.
0: Not to mention the entire segment of the population who has phones that are virtually the size of a tablet anyway. I would also be interested how many purchases were made on Nokias, the old ones, you know? I mean, is that even possible? Can you, like, dial in numbers to to pay for things? (laughs) I think that that might be possible in certain things.
1: Again, putting some numbers to it is really important for us as marketers to pay attention to. Tablets drove double the amount of sales that smartphones did. Tablets constituted 14.4% of all sales during Black Friday versus 7.2% of sales on Black Friday. So even though it's a slightly smaller traffic segment on average for sites, they constituted nearly double to the bottom line versus phone, which I feel like mobile devices are definitely more popular at least in the news and the benchmark reports and all the I would say online marketing tips out there much more so than tablets are I feel like they're either lumped in with phones or they're also lumped in with desktops and they're kind of orphaned out there you know not a lot of people draw out tablets specifically and how mm-hmm. we might need to change our experiences based on those devices even though they're constituting that much more to the bottom line The last item that I would pull out from this data that I thought was really interesting as well is just how much better the conversion rates are for people that are shopping on tablets versus smartphones. When we're comparing them again during this Black Friday holiday season, smartphone users on average converted at a 1.4% rate to order versus 4.25% on tablets. So that's a multiple times increase over smartphones. Now I think there's a lot that goes into that data, how people are using their smartphones when they're doing it. Are they on the go versus you know, when I'm using a tablet, maybe I'm in a more relaxed setting and I'm more apt to buy. And also maybe the same users that use both devices. I'm using smartphone to do my initial research. And then later on, I'm going to convert on my tablet after I've kind of done my cursory overview. But it is interesting to note that tablet users not only are spending much more, so they again they constituted double to the bottom line versus smartphones, but also The likelihood that people actually convert on tablets is much higher, uh, which is, again, something that we got to pay attention to as business owners and marketers and how we understand people's usage on these new devices that are just selling more and more and more every day. I think it is that the desktop and the laptop industries have been stagnant, if not declining. I think Uh, they
0: declined for the first time in in 2013. Because of these
1: new devices. So this is the new reality. And, again, it behooves us to understand how people are using our sites with these devices how can we create experiences that work well on these devices and
0: how do we treat them all good points i think that everyone i mean look we've been talking about responsive designs and mobile only designs mm. and app designs and all of this stuff for a while now on the show and it's just something that people need to be paying much more attention to. I, I almost wonder with some of these stats if it's not a problem with, for example, people don't purchase as much on phones because so many websites' phone experiences are terrible. You know, if it's, it's something amazing. as simple it's as still that, the same it's still is, the, case. Is the reason for that kind of difference. Um, so, anyway, some other topics we want to cover for tonight. I want to throw out some marketing one hundred and one at you. Some. Ooh deal personas some marketing personas you know this is the kind of stuff you cover in i mean I don't, i'm sure we covered this what in one of our marketing classes at old university in north florida um this Represent doesn't the ospreys right exactly this doesn't directly football is undefeated by the way <laughs> this doesn't directly apply to internet marketing this is just sort of for the marketers out there in general this is not based on specifically internet users or whatever that is it's just consumers in the united states can be broken down into one of six, what they're calling deal personas here. This helps in general with marketers, again, in general, sort of outside internet marketing, to help understand who the people are who are purchasing from you and what are their mindsets. And especially for deal personas, what kind of deals are going to work for these people? What kind aren't? And when can you run these sorts of deals? And when would they be most effective? You know, a lot of that stuff is really important to help understand... The people who are coming to you, which category they sort of fall into. So let's just run through really quickly what the six are, and then we can talk about more specifically what each one of those means and what the breakdown is like. Uh, Okay, so on a scale of people who love deals ending on a scale of people who hate deals, we start first with deal seeker influentials. So these are the people who aggressively seek deals everywhere. These are the people who are on the slickdeals.net, all the coupon websites who clip coupons from the newspapers, watch local news for the crazy sales. I mean, what are the other crazy ways you can find out about deals and coupons? These are those people. So that's the first category. Second category is offline deal seekers. So they use traditional media more than the digital to find the deals. So these are just the strictly I'm cutting coupons out of whatever it is. People still do. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that category must be dying off Mm -hmm. with age. Third is deal thrillers. So they love deals, but mostly from preferred retailers and stores. Give me some deals, but only from those couple of stores that I like. Deals from everywhere else are just sort of noise to me. I don't even really pay attention to those kinds of things. Fourth is deal takers. These are sort of classified, in other words, as like passive deal responders. They'll accept deals where they appear and may change their behavior in response to certain offers. In my opinion, maybe most people and that sort of thing. Like, I'm not really too into deals, but oh, oh, Target's got a deal. You know, like I might buy something extra now because of that. Okay, so the fifth group is deal indifference. And these people are unlikely to respond to deals in general. And then finally, we have deal rejectors who are positively, in in quotes, deal phobic, which almost sort of to me implies there's a sale. Now I'm leaving. I want to pay full price for everything. And if there's a sale, I'm out of here. I don't think that that's really the case, but that's what it almost sounds like to me. So let's run through sort of the percentages, the breakdown. First of all, where do you think you fall after that breakdown on the scale? I know you're not looking at the list right now, so it may be hard for you.
1: For definitely, for me, though, it would be deal thrillers from what you were communicating. Like, I like deals, but really... For brands that I'm already bought into, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm inundated with deals so often. It has to be a brand I'm already bought into because everything else has become noise. And maybe I'm a bit jaded coming out of the holiday season where my inbox was getting blown up with 15 emails a day from everybody. I do feel like the deals really only affect me when it's from brands I've already bought into.
0: I think I'm the same way. I mean, there are probably three or four brands whose deals I care at all about. I mean, there are even other brands/slash stores that I am bought into, but I ignore their sales. I'm not really sure what the psychology is there. Maybe I'm just weird. But well, I was actually—it's funny that you said that because I was actually going to mention.
1: You know, I do feel that over time my skepticism going into sales is getting higher and higher. I feel like the value of sales has gone down over time Mm -hmm. that it's just, it is a crutch for a lot of marketers to hang on to. And I feel like there's always a sale going on somewhere, but most of the time when I go there, the product selection is very limited or the constraints on said sales is so much to where it's like, well, yeah, you did a great job of getting me to click through your email or your marketing campaign. But now I'm coming on here and I feel like I wasted my time. Yeah. And sometimes it can cause me to have a bad taste in my mouth because I feel like, again, you wasted my time. Or I think it was the last podcast or the one before. If you run deals a lot, it causes a hesitancy for me to want to purchase from you because I don't know if this is actually going to be the best price.
0: Yeah, there's no sale now. I'm definitely not buying because right. I'm sure there will be one soon. I or if
1: it's it. only 25%, are they going to have a 40% off <clears throat> next week? I don't know. I, I'm not yeah, going to buy.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. Okay, so... What about you? What category would you I, I, put yourself I feel up? like I'm in the exact same category, okay. um, easily. Those are the, sort of the six categories. In a minute here, I'm going to talk about you know how the population breaks down into each one of those categories. But firstly, like I think it's important to... Now we know what those categories are. What does that mean to us at Internet Marketers? What the hell can we even do with that information? And I think probably the easiest, most translatable way we can use it information is if we run email lists to judge response rates to certain deals, bucket those people out as the deal seekers, right? So these people obviously are paying attention to our deals. So we send these people more deals. These people who are indifferent to our deals, we stop sending them those deals because they're likely to unsubscribe and or they just don't care. So why continue to send out emails that are ineffective when we could risk unsubscribes and them tuning us out or or whatever whatever it is, right? So I think that that's the most direct way that we can figure these things out. I mean, other ways are obviously, I think a lot of brands attract certain ones of these categories in Mm -hmm. general. And so understanding where your brand fits into the spectrum of six consumers and which do you attract the most can help you target not only just landing pages, but marketing in general, obviously from email marketing all the way through to the purchase process. Understanding if the people who come to me are the deal thrillers, understanding that mindset and how do I tweak my marketing messaging directly to those people Mm -hmm. who want deals but only want them from me? How does that change my messaging from just general deal wanters or takers? Okay. So
1: the first category you mentioned might be very interested in us having a low
0: price guarantee. They're looking for the best deal possible. That's, that's a great point right there. Absolutely. That's a perfect example. So sort of talk about some of that. That's theoretical. All right, let's get down to the numbers. How does the population actually break down? So again, we'll go from sort of the deal seeking lovers all the way back to the deal rejectors and and go one by one and and how the population breaks down. So number one is the deal seekers, the deal seeker influentials. That's 18% of the population lumps themselves into that category. So 20% are coupon crazy. Right. Always seeking the best deals, online, offline, mobile, sky, space, whatever it is, um, they're trying to find it. 13% are the offline deal seekers. So avidly deal seekers, but through the more traditional newspaper, magazines, whatever it is, the mailers that you Mm get. 14%. So so far, I mean, pretty even breakdown. 14% deal thrillers, you and I, uh, you know, we care about deals, but only for the brands. 12% 12% deal takers, while not actively seeking deals, they'll take one and maybe even shop a new store to get one. Here's the big one. 34% though, deal indifference. Now, these people are, are claim to lack in shopping enthusiasm in general. They are unlikely to change their behavior because of a deal. Finally, 8% deal rejectors. They want convenience before deals. They don't care about deals. They don't pay attention to that stuff. So that's the breakdown. 34% for deal indifference. I, I got to think these people are lying. <laughs> I mean
1: so what are we at like roughly like 45 40% are deal and different andor phobic
0: right so 42% inclusive of people who do not like deals roughly if that's how we want to sort of categorize that hmm. liar, liars liars <laughs> 42% of the US population is a liar that's yeah. what we can take away from this
1: interested to see how they asked, like what how the survey was constructed i mean that there's a lot that goes into that but i think that people are affected more to that i think it also depends on what you're shopping for for certain items maybe it's just a straight commodity deals really don't make that big of a difference or like you were saying it's a certain brand where i'm very particular about getting a certain good from a certain company and deals really aren't that big of a deal. Maybe it's a status symbol or, you know, whatever it might be, and deals aren't that really relevant to me. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot goes into who these shoppers are, but also what they're shopping for and also how they like to lie on surface.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so those were the six deal personas. Obviously, in marketing, we deal with personas a lot. I don't know why I said deal with personas a lot again, but usually in terms of shopping personas, how people shop and what sort of step of the shopping process they're in. So Mm -hmm. this is specifically about deal personas. Take all of these sort of personas and figure out who your ideal customers are, who are your real customers, how can I bucket people out, separate people out, and try to target my marketing based along these different categories slash personas.
1: And you mentioned email lists through your example. You might also want to set up some monitoring on your website and try to establish personas based on shopping habits as mm-hmm. well. Do you have customers that are always just going to your sales sections and perusing around but they're not really going to full-priced items. So maybe let's bucket those people. Maybe show them a sales banner as they come back or, hey, check out these new sales items. And I think that understanding people's shopping behaviors sometimes can lead to very effective personalization. But I also think that over-personalization can get you in trouble as well. But that's for another podcast. That's been episode number 42 of the Bearded Marketers. Hope you enjoyed your time. Give us a call at 904-270-9603 have a topic for the show or something that you're struggling with maybe the boss is yelling at you you don't know where to turn give us a call again 904-270-9603 rob waits by the phone day and night and we have a lot of experience in the industry so we can definitely help you out and if we don't know the answer we can get you in contact with someone that does but that's going to be it for us again thank you for your time and we will see you next week